about the 14th chapter of John. I meant Romans, I'm sorry. And we talked about the attitude we're supposed to have by people who believe a little differently than we do, but not about the things that are extremely essential. They talked about things that we consider pretty important today, I guess, but Paul's idea of what was not imperative was what day you worshiped on and whether or not you ate meat after a part of it had been offered to idols. We know that the one thing essential that everyone has to believe in order to be a saved is a resurrection. That's one thing you have to believe in. But there are a lot of other things that cause us to be different. As I mentioned last week, it seems that God's people have a tendency to grab one truth out of the Bible and put it ahead of all the other truths and inform a group of believers from it and divide everybody up. Different church on every corner. And Jesus prayed in the 14th chapter of John right before he went to the cross that we would all be unified in our beliefs that all of God's children would believe the same way. But because of our sin, we don't. So those things we talked about last week were things that Paul considered to be in that day things that were not too important. But there are things that are important. And we still have the admonition from heaven that we need to believe alike. And certainly not to be critical of people who believe a little bit differently than we do. But there's a way to deal with all that. And I think we'd probably help us out to look at that today. And it has to do with that attitude. But let me say this to explain something, to get you things that you've already heard, I'm sure, but to get you in, a, in, a, in an attitude today of acceptance for maybe something you hadn't heard. The title is What You Believe. And once you're a believer, your spirit is on its way to Jesus. That's what our Bible teaches us. Once you're born again, God has placed the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, a part of His own self inside of you to teach you, to remind you what Jesus said and to convict you of sin and we are told by our scriptures that we need to let that Holy Spirit inside of us guide us in everything that we do. And Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father today in heaven, in a throne on his right hand, interceding for us through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. 
People talk about God living down at the church. God doesn't live at the church anymore. When he cleaned the temple out, he said, I'm done with that. Fifty days later when Jesus was killed, you remember the veil of the temple was rent and everybody had access to the Holy of Holies. And at that time, God quit living in churches. Not churches because the temple wasn't a church, but in holy houses, if you will, and started living in the hearts of all of us. If God is at the church, one of us is there because he comes with us. But he renews our mind every day, 12th chapter of Romans says. The Holy Spirit teaches us different things of the Spirit as we need the knowledge and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. There's that too. Sometimes we refuse to learn. We learn what to think, what to say, and what to do. And that defines who we are at any given point to ourselves and to other people. Some who are lost and some who are saved like us. And as we go being more like Jesus all the time, The Holy Spirit is trying to teach us to think alike as Jesus and his Father thought alike. But not for the sake of being alike. That's the thing, the motive is different. You don't believe like other people do simply to be alike. That's not the point. You believe like the Bible says, and if everybody does that, then everybody believes alike, like Jesus believed. We're being right by the Bible. There are a lot of people that preach, a lot of people that teach, And everybody doesn't teach the same thing or preach the same thing. They should. They're called by God as prophets were in the Old Testament. And he told the prophets if they changed one single word of what he said, that he was going to put a curse on them. So I believe that as we are called of God to preach, that we need to preach exactly what he said. Not only the words that he said, but the meanings that are behind the words. Because a lot of the words they use in Scripture are not words that we use the same way today. That's the reason. My method of teaching is this. I show you in the Bible what it says. If there are any words there that might be confusing, I give you biblical definitions of those words and it's up to the Holy Spirit to teach you how to handle that. I can show you what it says but I can't make you believe it but the Holy Spirit can. And so that's the way we do things. 
I want to look at how we look at the Bible today and the things that we believe because of the Bible and what the Bible says of itself. So if you will turn to John chapter 18 and we'll look at verse 37. The background of the the context of what is about to be said, Jesus was in Pilate's hall being judged that night before he went to the cross. And he's having a conversation with Pilate. And this is something he said that I think pertains to us. If we start at uh, verse 33 of chapter 18 of John, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? That's what the Jews had come in there accusing him of saying that he was. And Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to you? What he's saying here, did you think up this to ask me this yourself, or did somebody say that to you? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? What did you do to get in this trouble? Pilate asked him. And Jesus answered, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from here. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest rightly that I am a king. That's the way that reads. The phrasing puts rightly in there. In other words, you're right, Pilate, to call me a king because I am one. To this end was I born, and for this cause I came into the world that I might bear witness unto the truth. And the people of the truth hear my voice. Now hear what that said. This is probably one of the two most important messages I can teach. One is explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, how a person might be saved. But this right here is the only way we know how to live after we're saved. And a proper understanding of God's word is the only way we're going to be successful. We get it from studying ourselves or from somebody teaching it or preaching it to us. And Jesus said, He came, the reason He was born, the reason the Father God sent Him 
was to bear witness to the truth, to let us know what the truth is. And he said, the people of the truth hear my voice. They hear me, and they know me, and they know who I am. And that's the reason I came. They listen for me, they hear me, and they believe me. Turn, if you will, please, back a couple of pages to the left to John 10, 27. little short verse here, but it says so much. But you have got to be a person of that day to understand exactly what he's saying. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now that came out of this a particular kind of practice. You see, in those days, the people that had sheep, some of them lived pretty close to a town. Most of the towns had walls around them because there were so many thieves and cutthroats and thugs everywhere, just like Jerusalem had. It had, a, it had a fence around it, a wall, a tremendous wall, an impenetrable wall. But folks out in the country, way out in the country, didn't have to worry too much about thieves and thugs and and, and, and people had caused trouble because out there where there's not many houses, there wasn't any around in those fields and what they call the wilderness. So if you had 40 or 50 sheep out in the boondocks, there wasn't anybody out there much to bother you. But if you lived around town, there was always a bunch of crooks in town. And they would come out and try to do you harm. So those sheep people who had sheep close to town would build them what they called a coat, C-O-T-E, because there were so many rocks around there. Every picture I've seen of a coat was built out of rocks. And they built walls up about head high out of rocks. And they had a gate, several places, Jesus uses this analogy to explain something. And he said the thief comes in over the wall. He doesn't come in through the gate. He was speaking of Satan. But he says the good shepherd comes in by the gate. He comes in where everybody sees him. They had a wooden gate in this coat and several shepherds at night would bring their sheep in and put them in this pen, this corral, if you will, made out of rocks. And then on one corner, close to the gate, they had built a tower, a higher place, so a man could get up there and see a little bit further in case somebody was trying to slip up on the place. They divided up on who would stay tonight and who would stay tomorrow night and whatever. I don't know how they did it, but they did. One person stayed at least to watch the sheep for everybody. And then in the morning, 
The sheep had been laying there in the bare ground because they'd already eaten all the grass out of a pen. They lay there in the morning and the shepherds would come to the gate and when the sheep heard their voice, they tell me, sheep people do, I've been around just enough to have talked with them about some of the, the way sheep act and they said when a sheep hears your voice, they would get up off the bed ground and walk to the gate and walk out. When you turned around, they would follow you out of the coat. And then you went out, they, they had, hadn't eaten all night, they hadn't drank water all night, so they was ready to get out of there. But they only came to their shepherd's voice. And they would follow him out and he'd carry them to good grass and water. And then the next shepherd would come up and he'd speak and the sheep would recognize him and his sheep would follow him out. And that went on each time until they got all the sheep out of the pen and they was out in the pastures grazing them. That is the picture that Jesus was using right here. My sheep hear my voice and they, I know them and they follow me. Now there's something in you that God puts there because Jesus just said it did. When you hear the voice of Jesus, when you know Jesus is speaking to you, when you read about what Jesus says, you know it's the truth. Now, I don't know what you've been told or what your idea may be, but I believe Jesus wrote this whole book. They've got them like my Bible in red print so you can tell what he said. But Jesus was the one who had this whole book written. And when I, at one point in my life, I decided that everything that I saw in this book and could understand, I was going to believe it because I believed it came from Jesus. Now, I've had people try to convince me some of these people wrote, and they all had different opinions. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. We'll see that in a minute. Two pages over to the left, maybe, in chapter 8 and verse 47. Jesus was talking here to the Pharisees. In verse 43, chapter 8, verse 43, Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus says, when people speak about Jesus and they're not telling the truth, it didn't come from him. Because everything he tells is the truth. 
And he says in verse 45, and because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which of you convinced convicts me, he uses the term convinces me, but the definition from the Bible dictionary is convict. Which of you convict me of sin? Which one of you are accusing me of being a sinner? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you're not of God. Jesus talked pretty straight here. You know, he said in Corinthians that to the people who were not born again, the words of the Bible were foolishness. Never, never get into an argument with a person that you might sense is not a Christian. There's no way you, they can argue with you because they don't know the Bible to start with. And most of the time we're arguing about something the Bible says or something we're supposed to believe or something we're not supposed to believe. Don't get in an argument with people like that. It's not going to help anything. Because he says, when you don't believe my words... You're not of God. You don't belong to God. You're not born again. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. Because he that is of God hears my voice. There's something in us with that Holy Spirit that makes us realize, like I said, what the truth is. We recognize it because of that Holy Spirit. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, you know we talked about attitude last week out of Romans 14, we read some things like that if you think you know, you don't really know like you need to know. That's an attitude. When you think you know, that's attitude. You don't know what you're supposed to know. So we're not to have the attitude that I've arrived. I'm here. I know it all. I know more than you know. Because it's been in my 80 years that I've learned that I think I know something. I've been reading it maybe 70 years. And then all of a sudden one day you read it and the Holy Spirit of God inside of you gives you a little different twist. And you know it's from God. But he's decided to add to your education a little bit. And all of a sudden you read it a little bit differently than you ever did. That happens to me and I'm sure it happens to you. But Paul here is talking to the church at Philippi. And he says in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know what that means? I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. I don't know it all yet, Paul says. And Paul wrote most of the books in the Bible tell us how to act in church. He knew a lot. He knew a lot more than I know. 
but he spent three years in the desert with Jesus teaching him firsthand. He had a good teacher. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You don't look back. You look ahead. You remember what he said about a man puts his hand to the plow and looks back? is not fit to be plowing? If you've ever done anything on a tractor and thought you needed to go in a straight line and look back one time, when you get on up ahead a little bit, you look back and there was that right there. There's a crook. Every time you look around, there's a crook. You can't lay that first row off because there'll be a crook in it. And if you don't wipe out that crook in the next path you go by, your rows won't be straight. I mean, it's as simple as planting a 10-row garden. Same way, you got to look ahead. You can't even plow looking back. And that's what Paul said. I don't look back. Yesterday's problems belong to yesterday. I'm not going to let them do away with my today. Because today I need to be what God wants me to be. And if I let yesterday's problem weigh me down, I can't be today what I need to be. So I'm looking ahead for the high prize of Christ. Because of this, because of what I've just said, verse 15, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, now that's born again, folks. That's not perfect in action. That's not perfect in thought. It's born again. That's as perfect as you can get in this world out here that so many people don't know Jesus Christ. Be thus minded. In other words, think like I do, Paul says. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. You know what that's saying? Well, I'm not sure about this. That's okay. Because God's going to teach you what you need to know anyhow. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I'll teach you even what you're wrong about. I'll teach you right about what you don't even know. That's a promise. That's a promise. So what I don't know, I'm just careful not to preach it. Because I don't want to make a mistake. I don't preach anything but what I know I know. But I've got to give God's confirmation on the way I'm preaching it before I'll say it to anybody. But he says, if you're not sure about something, I'll teach it to you before you've got to pass it on. So that's the reason I can have the confidence that if I show you what God says, it's up to you then. And I explain it to you. But here's the thing. God says, I'll show you what you don't know. But I've learned in my business as a Sunday school teacher since 79 and a preacher for the last 20 years, God doesn't always show me his truth until I need it. 
But before I've got to stand and say it to you, he'll show it to me. Because I made a deal with him when he called me at 60 years old to preach because I really didn't want to be a preacher. Didn't have any idea I'd ever be one. In fact, there was a lot of them I didn't like to start with. Didn't agree with them. But I told him when he finally made me understand that I had to be, okay, I'll do this. Every time I stand up, if you haven't given me a message, then I'll just tell them, folks, today we're just going to sing. God doesn't have anything for me to tell you today. And in 21 years, I've never missed one time. Not one time. He gives me something every single week. And most of the time, a couple of days ahead, I didn't even know what it was it was going to be. That's the point. He doesn't tell you everything you don't know right now. But before you need it, before you mess somebody else up with it, because he said the greatest punishment for a speaker is when he teaches people wrong. A lot of guys don't know that. They're not as scared as I am to stand in front of people and try to expound the truth. But I'll show it to you before you're going to have to use it. Now, if you will, turn to Second Peter. This will be the last. Second Peter, chapter one. Verse 20. Peter here is talking about when he and James and John were standing on the Mount of Configuration. Isn't that what they call it? Huh? Transfiguration. I stand corrected. It was when Moses and Elijah was on the mountain with Jesus. Do you remember? And Peter stood up, old smart mouth Peter. You know, he always had something to say. When he looked up and saw Jesus and Elijah and Moses standing there with a bright light shining off of them, he said, what we need to do, Jesus, is build you and Moses a brush arbor or something you can stand under and get out of the, get out of the sun, see. And a word came down out of heaven and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. If you're not impressed enough with all this scene, Peter, I'm getting your attention. You listen to me and hush your mouth. And Jesus will show you what's right. He's talking about that. And he says in verse 18, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed of. Listen. Peter says, I've been there and I'm here. And he says, 
we've got something more sure today than I heard that voice coming out of heaven. We knew it was God. We knew it had to be. But this is more sure. Do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. The day star is a nickname for Jesus. He said, look, take heed to what I'm fixing to tell you like a light shining in the night until you get daylight, which in this case will be Jesus Christ. Until you get saved and Jesus is showing you all these things, take heed what I'm fixing to tell you. Know this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He's talking about the Bible. Any private interpretation. This is a message to all of us. Private is the Greek word idios, which means pertaining to self or one's own to have something that's yours and yours alone. By implication, private or separate. In other words, your own interpretation. There's no such thing as having your own interpretation. Interpretation is the word epileusis. It means explanation or application, a way to apply what you just read. There is only one interpretation of a scripture. There are several applications. You can make it apply in several places, but there is only one official Holy Spirit-led interpretation of any scripture in the Bible. Nobody gets to have their own opinion of what it says. But wait a minute. I mean, I've heard people say, I believe as long about anybody in here, Everybody reads the Bible, got their own interpretation, right? Wrong. Not supposed to be. There's only one interpretation. And it's not private. It's not yours or mine. It's God's interpretation for what he just said. And the Holy Spirit will tell you what it is. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Men didn't write the Bible. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are not several origins of the Scripture. But wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul wrote this while he was over here and Peter wrote this while he was over here. You're saying that the Bible didn't come from different places? No, I didn't say that. 
I said that the words of the Bible and the meaning of the Bible all came straight out of heaven. And God was in charge of all of it. And he wrote it in such a way to where it's got one interpretation. Now there's a neat thing. The, 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 the meaning of this scripture is no different than the meaning of all other scripture. Everything jibes, as old folks used to say. There's no contradictions. But I think I found a contradiction. I think I found three or four. But you know what I had to do in my mind? I had to say, that's just because your mind is not much count. Because when it's over, you'll know. You'll know that there are no contradictions in Scripture. It all says the same thing. You just don't understand it yet. But my grandma said, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma wasn't inspired. She was a good lady. I'm not saying anything against her. But what her opinion was didn't come from heaven every time. And ours have got to. It's got to. When the Holy Spirit teaches you what a scripture means, you've got to understand that's what I'm supposed to believe. A scripture agrees with itself everywhere. In all the years I've studied this book, I've never found but two or three places, and I've found where scholars allowed this is the way that happened. Jesus told us in Romans 14 that people who don't know truth yet are not argued out of their lack of knowledge. You don't argue a person out of their lack of knowledge. They have to grow into it. So arguing has no place at all in the relationship between me and somebody that believes a little different than I do. I'm not about to argue with them. You don't argue people out of that. You offer it to them and you wait for them to grow into it. That's the way it works. The Holy Spirit can do that. I know I can't. Don't intend, don't intend to try. I just stand for what God tells me is truth and I let other people come to it. But the thing we've got to remember as Jesus received us, we said last week, him that is weak, Romans 14, chapter 1, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. Receive people who you know are born again, just don't argue with them. Don't receive them to get the chance to try to straighten them out. That's not the way it works. Because Jesus received us when we didn't know any better. I remember when I didn't know better. I remember when I didn't know nothing like I know now. And he still took me and made a student out of me and protected me and blessed me and had mercy on me 
and forgave me for years as I learned. So we realize them that are set free are free indeed. Jesus freed us so that we're free to do what he called us to do. He didn't want anything in our lives to keep us from being everything he wanted us to be as a Christian. We're created to good works, and that's the purpose. Ignorance traps us. We keep from doing things because we don't know any better. We keep from having faith enough because we don't know any better. And knowledge frees us up. When you learn, you can do better. And you have more confidence in what you're doing. And you have faith in what you're fixing to do. And not even know how it's going to turn out, but still, you have faith in it. Tell you something that helped me. Maybe this experience will help you. A little short story. I was in Fort Worth in the 80s buying some high dollar horses for some of my customers. And I ran into the most unique person I've ever been around in one of the most in my whole life. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's one of the biggest gamblers in the whole world. His name is Amarillo Slim. Anybody ever heard of Amarillo Slim? He's at the World Contest for the World Series of Poker Players every year, just about, or used to be. And I met him. He was there to buy a horse. Amarillo Slim were in games of poker that he bet over $100,000 a hand. And in my two-hour conversation with that man, I found out that he was one of the greatest Christians I've ever been around in my whole life. I've told you, there's nothing in the Bible about gambling. Not a word. But a lot of people, professional people, in churches make that their key verse, that God doesn't like it. Never said he didn't like it. He even says in one place that when you roll the dice, what comes up on those dice, he's in charge of. But wait a minute. Gamblers are bad people. They are. God doesn't say they are. We saw last week, 14th chapter of Romans, that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth it's unclean, it's unclean to him. So a lot of times, we say something is bad when it's really not bad, and because of that, we ignore everything that comes under that bad list. This man gave scholarships to a Christian university out in Colorado. He tithed every dime he ever made on a poker table. And he had some of the biggest, what do you call the things that you put on for people to help them out with their money and all? Benefits. He put on some of the biggest ones for people whose houses burn, for kids and their scholarships and everything else. But he was a gambler. 
I got away from that. And I'm kind of like Jesus when he ran into that Syrophoenician woman. And he said, I'm not supposed to tell you about the church. I'm not supposed to share the gospel with you because you're not a Jew. And he says, you don't give the crumbs off the table to the dogs. And you know what she said? She said, yeah, but the crumbs that fall from the table, the dogs get to eat. And he turned and changed his mind. He had been told by the Holy Spirit, you only speak to the Jews. And he changed his mind and shared the plan of salvation with her. So I've learned, just like Peter did when the sheep came down. Eat, Peter. He said, I don't eat things that are unclean. And God told him, said, don't you call unclean what I've cleaned up. So I'm going to tell you something, folks. As a believer in Jesus Christ, I've got to keep my mind a little bit open. Like I said the last three or four weeks, you go to making a bunch of rules for yourself, things you don't do and people you don't have anything to do with, it cuts your ministry short. And God doesn't intend for that. He intends for you to walk down the street and be able to share Jesus Christ with anybody you meet and not look down your nose at them. And that's the plan. And if you get out in this world, you'll find a lot of people who are not what you think they are. And they need salvation. They need Jesus. And you might be the only one picked out to give it to them. I learned to hold my tongue until I knew the truth about something. And I think that's what we need to do with the Bible. It'd be careful that we don't take liberties with the things that God wrote for us. He said, I came that their joy might be full and that your work will remain. And in order, apparently, for our joy to be full and for our work to remain, we've got to have the mind of Jesus Christ. Look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look, see how Jesus handles stuff. That's the way we're supposed to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in us right now that's going to tell us how to believe or not to believe what we've just heard. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity for all of us to open your book and look at what you said that we might know who you are because you say the spiritual people are the ones who know and understand you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.